what's going on everybody how y'all doing out there man it feels so good to be here with you guys today this is tj with another episode of the soapbox and man i'm telling you this is a wonderful time to be alive in america man we're sitting on the cusp of one of the most important days in this country And I'm telling you right now that it is so vital that we stay tuned in and understand our civil obligation to this country. So, with no further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alright, so today's episode is dedicated to what we are actually dealing with right now. In America, in three days, we are going to be participating in one of the most important privileges that we have as American citizens. And that privilege is our right to vote. Now, you can take whatever stance you want as far as political party. You can be a Democrat. You can be a Republican, you can be a Libertarian, you can be independent, you can have any kind of political affiliation you want. You can be an advocate for any candidate that you want. But today's episode is not about talking to you about a political party or trying to tell you who to vote for. Today's episode is all about telling you that you need to vote. Not just the fact that you need to vote, though, but also what are some things that you need to stay away from when figuring out how you should vote and who to vote for? Now, again, I'm putting my disclaimer out there now. This episode is not geared or designed to tell you who to vote for. But it is more so focused on elements of voting and why we should vote. Now, what inspired this episode, to be quite honest with you, is there's been this continued narrative that I've seen throughout all of Facebook, social media, Twitter, Instagram, people's particular web pages. And I've even entertained some conversations with individuals face to face and understand their disgust. I get it. I understand the position that many of the people that are deciding not to vote are taking, but there's a couple of things that you need to take into consideration when you talk about eliminating your vote from the process. So let's start with talking about considerations and then we'll get into a history of voting and why people should take this very seriously. All right. So first off, one of the most uh, famous complaints that I hear all the time is that my vote doesn't count. Now this is a complaint that has had a large array of explanations throughout history. But one of the biggest explanations that most people fell back on is the existence of the electoral college and the fact that each state has delegates 
that actually vote for the president. Well, prior to July 6th of this year, I was actually one of the people who felt like my vote for the presidency didn't count as much as my vote for other positions. That posture of mine was because I understood how the electoral college and delegates worked. And I knew that there was something that existed out there called a faithless vote. And what that allowed the electoral delegates to do is that even though a particular candidate would have gotten the popular vote in their state, this would have allowed the electoral delegates to go in the opposite direction simply because they felt as though their ideal about the candidate or how they perceived the candidate was actually better for the state than what the people of the state had decided. So I used to think in my mind that that was the case. And I really didn't feel like my vote mattered as much as it does for other spots or other positions until July 6th of this year, 2020, when the Supreme court ruled that faithless voting or the ability for the delegates to go in an opposite direction of the popular vote of their state was unconstitutional and illegal. That gave me new hope new light in how I approached voting for the presidency. So I don't think anyone should take the stance of my vote doesn't count because it definitely counts. And now you actually have legal backing that proves that a delegate cannot go outside of the boundaries of your state's laws when it comes down to how they govern their delegation towards the presidency. Now, another complaint that I'm hearing all the time, and this is a huge one is I don't want to vote or I don't have to vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, let's take something into consideration and we have to be very honest with ourselves. As long as money is involved in politics. It's going to take a lot for us to find a truly just and fair individual without a personal agenda to run for that office. But make no mistake about it. It is an illusion to believe that there are only two options. I have been following some new commentators on YouTube and Facebook and all of social media, some guys that I had never listened to before. And I'm starting to listen to them now. And one of these ideals that's been floating around that people need to pay close attention to is something called the false binary. Now what the false binary is, it's, the ability for somebody to make you believe that you have to choose between two choices when in all actuality, there are more. 
Ladies and gentlemen, on November the 3rd, when you pick up your ballot, there will be more than two names listed for candidacy for the president. As a matter of fact, I haven't seen a ballot yet, but I can almost guarantee you there'll be at least three. The problem is, is that the way our political environment is designed, you rarely get to hear, if at all, the platform or the position of anybody but the individuals that are being represented by the two primary parties. We get to hear what the Democrats think. We get to hear what the Republicans think. We get to hear those two candidates, their vice presidents. We get to hear the people from their cabinets. We get to hear the people from their administration, but we never get to hear the narrative that is driven by the other candidates on that ballot. That's because money is so deeply rooted into the process of becoming a president. But understand, it is definitely an illusion for you to believe that there are only two candidates. Now, there might only be two viable candidates, and that's because the media and money have convinced the world that these are the two front runners for the presidency. And that's totally linked to our two party system. So we need to get rid of that misconception as well. Now there's also another misconception that is definitely something that we need to get rid of. We need to stop giving so much weight to the presidency when it comes down to our actual day-to-day lives. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. The president of the United States is possibly the most powerful singular position in the entire world. Their voice shapes policies. Their opinions shapes people's day-to-day movement. They can cause the stock market to rise and to fall with just a single sentence. They directly impact foreign policy, how they deal with other countries, and they basically set the pace and the attitude that we take in our domestic policies here in the United States. But let's be totally honest. When Barack Obama took office, he did eight years inside of the white house during that eight years, aside from policies that he may have been directly involved in, how in the world did Barack Obama's presidency truly affect your life? Now, this is what I want you to weigh this against. I want you to weigh that against how the policies and laws of your local municipalities, your state level and your county level electorals, how that those things affect you. See, we've got our weight unevenly distributed. We put a large amount of weight on electing officials in Washington whose policies have to trickle down to touch us, to affect us. 
But we don't put anywhere near as much weight on the electorals here. The individuals at the city level, state level, county level, those are the individuals who directly affect your life immediately. And their laws, their policies, their procedures, they matter more to you than anything that Washington can do. We should put more time and more effort and more energy into ensuring that we have good leadership here at our state level, at our county level, and at our city level. Those are the positions that affect your life more than anything. So I'm not saying that the presidency is not important. I would never say that. But what I am saying is that we need to make sure that we've got the right balance of weight, that we're actually prioritizing our energy towards a fight that is really going to truly affect our lives immediately. I'm not saying that things that the president doesn't do or does do don't affect your life. But the weight of what the president does is nowhere near as influential or affecting than what someone right near you does. The people that make the the laws for your city or your county. Donald Trump has been in office for four years. For four years, Donald Trump has made executive orders and he has engaged in policies, both foreign and domestic. And in all honesty, there has been little that Donald Trump has done that has directly affected me at all. So I say to you now, what really affects you are the people closest to you. And you need to pay more attention to those races because they matter. Now, the last consideration that I want you to think about before you make your way to this voting booth on November the 3rd. And I hope that many people have already taken this stuff into consideration because the truth is at this point, well over 50 million people have voted. We've broken all kinds of early voting records here in America. And I really, really applaud those who have decided for the first time that they are going to go and cast their vote. But let me say this. If you are going to vote, please stop voting off of rhetoric. Let me say that again. Stop casting your vote based off of rhetoric. Let's take some truths into consideration. Truth number one, both sides lie. They do. As a matter of fact, there are individuals right now organizations who keep track of the lies that each side tells. So they all lie every single one of them, but to categorize any one of them as a liar, then you need to have substantial evidence of that case. Now I'm not saying you don't, and I'm not saying that you can't peg any one of the two candidates that we have right now as a liar. But understand this though, there are stains on both parties. So you need to take a balanced approach right there. When I say rhetoric, 
I'm talking about lies. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lies. Lies that are developed to stain the other candidate. Let me give you one an example. There is a lie that is circulated that says that the Republican Party is racist and that they care little to nothing about the poor and disenfranchised, especially the African-American community. Now, do I believe that there are individuals in the Republican Party that feel that way? Oh, yeah. I 100% do. Do I feel that some of the Republican Party's policies are geared more securely for the rich and the the privileged? Yes, I absolutely do. But do I feel that those two elements alone make them racist? No, I don't. I don't believe, and it is not true, that all Republicans are racist. Because that's the narrative that people want to spin to you. If you're a Republican, then you're a racist. Well, I know a lot of Republicans, and they're not racist. They believe in the platform and the policies, but they're not racist. They believe in the economic structure, but they're not racist. If you want to argue against the Republican Party, argue against the Republican Party on the basis of what their platform actually says. Give statistical information, data that can produce a that can produce a stream of evidence that proves that their policy is going in the wrong direction. I'm sure there are many many educated individuals that can do that without having to label them as racist. Now, let me tell you another falsehood, another lie. That's rhetoric. The Democratic Party wants to eliminate your ability to worship the way you want to. They want to eliminate God and religious freedom. That is a 100% complete lie. Now, have there been policies that have risen throughout history that would suggest that the Democratic Party is more open to multiple religious factions as opposed to the Republican Party? Yes. Inside of these policies, have they created a situation where in some cases, such as prayer in school, that there are limitations that have been placed on all religious factions and not just one in particular? Yes. Do they want to stop you from going to church or praying the way you choose to or worshiping the way you choose to? No. There is absolutely no element whatsoever inside the Democratic Party or their platform that suggests that they want religious suppression. Nowhere. But that is rhetoric. Stop poisoning people's minds with rhetoric. Because rhetoric is not truth. What it is, is your spin on a particular idea. How you feel things are going to go. And a lot of it is assumption. 
until you actually dig into the history of the political parties and understand why the Republican Party is what it is and the Democratic Party is what it is, then stop trying to paint these parties as some type of image when you're not even giving people the total truth. You're not. I refuse to drive anyone to a decision based off of a lie, especially when I know it's one. And I've looked at every single news syndication, every single news outlet, and I can pinpoint people who know without a shadow of a doubt that what they're saying at the present moment is a lie. And they still say it to the American people. You know why I don't like when people lie to me? And that's a whole nother podcast. But the main reason why I don't like it when people lie to me is because of the fact that when you lie to me, what you're actually telling me is that I'm too ignorant or too stupid, or I'm just not smart enough to understand that what you're telling me is a lie. You're actually insulting me twice. You're telling me something that's not true. And then you're saying it to me as if you believe that I'm going to believe it. That's why I can't stand a liar. So vote off of your own convictions. Don't vote off of rhetoric and don't vote based off of what the next man says. Vote off of your own convictions and how you view the candidates that are being voted for and the platform. So now I've run into so many people, so many people who are of the opinion that they're just not going to vote. And I'm not going to give you a complete history lesson, but I do want to talk about some particular moments in history that should be the number one reason why you go out on November the 3rd and you vote as if your life depended on it. Because the truth of the matter is throughout history, People's lives have. I'm actually going to start right at the Declaration of Independence. And we'll move through there. So let's start with America's majority. Because I've ran into to white people who said that they weren't going to vote. Well, let me give you a little bit of history so that you might change your mind. Did you know... That in 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was declared, the only individuals who were allowed to vote were people who owned land. That was it. If you didn't own any land, you could not vote. As a matter of fact, in 1789, when George Washington was elected president, only 6% of the American population at the time could vote. Now, granted, I know that back then you want to consider the fact that America was substantially smaller. There were definitely less people, but just the fact that 6% of the population alone was able to vote is staggering. In 1790, the nationalization law was passed. And it explicitly said that only free white immigrants could vote. 
you were only considered as citizens then if you were white. And that's white male now. Let's make that distinction very clear because the female was not considered at the level of citizen yet. It wasn't until 1856 that voting rights were expanded to all white males. So understand that no matter if you are a part of America's majority, there was still a level of voter suppression that you had to endure also. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't even have to go into major detail on the extent that the African-American community has had to endure voter suppression. But if you want to, you can start at our introduction to this country. Because like I just previously said, 1790, white male was considered citizen. It wasn't until 1868 that the 14th Amendment was passed and former slaves were considered citizens. However, you understand as well as I do that that was simply labeled and that at no point in time were they ever considered truly citizens, nor were they given the ability to vote the way that white males were. As a matter of fact, those voting regulations were still left in the hands of the state. Now, in 1870, the 15th Amendment was passed. What the 15th Amendment allowed was for there to be no discrimination of vote for voting based off of race and other factors. This still was not enough to promote the ability for African-Americans and other minorities to be able to vote simply because what happened is, is that at the state level, especially in the South, most states fought against it. They created things like the voting taxes, literacy tests, and things that they knew were going to be able to stifle and stop most, if not all, African-Americans at the time from being able to vote. These practices continued for years until they were eventually stopped by other laws that were passed. You know, I think it's amazing how so much work and effort has been put into suppressing the ability for someone to vote in America. I want you to think about something. I want you to think about this truly. Think about the fact that people fought for years to suppress various groups' ability to vote in this country. But look at things that they didn't fight against. Look at all of the different ways that you were introduced to so much stuff. But voting was one of the key elements of this life that people wanted you to keep out of how in the world could voting not be important if there isn't such a freedom to do it willingly if there are constant efforts for you to not be able to do something there has to be significant power in it think about it right at your home those of you that that own guns you lock them away from your children because you don't want them to touch them. 
because you know how powerful they are. You know what they can do. Your vote has to be the same because historically people have worked with all kinds of effort to keep you from being able to do it. And when I say you, I'm talking to a wide variety of individuals because we have to take into consideration all of the different groups that have been blocked traditionally. We just talked about white males. We were talking about African-Americans and understand that at some point in time, we reach the 60s where we are still looking at voter suppression, the same practices that have been utilized all throughout history with violence and assaults and intimidation that has to point to voting mattering. Think about it. It wasn't until 1920 that the 19th amendment extended the right to women to vote 1920. And still just six years later, we see some of the most horrific voter suppression acts done from state to state to keep women and minorities away from the voting booth. It wasn't until 1952 that we actually see Asian Americans gaining the right to vote. Only two years prior to when African Americans gained the right, did Hispanics gain the right. In 1964, 1965, we see an extremely strong change in how voting is approached because during those years, we see the elimination of the voting tax. Think about it. What if you had to pay a tax just to be able to go vote? And when you got there, you were met with mobs that offered violence and assault just for you to be able to walk into a a booth and voice your opinion on who should lead and run this country. And I don't necessarily want to go into a full historical breakdown of all the different changes, everything that was done from vagrancy laws to redlining, to setting up districts that were geared towards winning to gerrymandering to all of these different efforts that are still operating right now. Understand this. And this is the total point of the podcast. If your vote didn't matter, If there was no power and you picking and choosing an electoral candidate, then all these efforts wouldn't exist. Nobody, absolutely nobody put forth effort to block you from something that has no substance. If your vote didn't count, there would be no history of people blocking white males, black males, black females, white females, Asians, Hispanics, Native Americans. If your vote didn't matter, there would be no history of people trying to stop all of these people from voting. If your vote didn't matter, there would be no effort to restructure the districts, regions, Setups that are in place 
to have political parties stockpiled so that they can gain a majority in a particular county. They wouldn't do those efforts. Those things would not exist if your vote didn't count. Think about it. If you are a white male, you should vote because you have a history of suppression too. Just to sit back and realize that at one point in time, if I didn't own land, if 6% of the country was voting and I was not, and here I am, someone who has a legacy that fought in a war to claim this country, to claim independence, I'm going to vote. If you're an African-American male, you have a rich history of being oppressed, your voice being suppressed, fighting war after war after war, help building infrastructure, buildings, bridges, only to be second best and not allowed to do anything. Not because you don't own land, but because you couldn't read or because you couldn't afford the taxes or because you lived in an area that was secluded. Or because you had all of the requirements, but you made it up to the voting location and was met with a mob that didn't feel like you deserved to vote. You need to vote. If you're a woman, black, white, Hispanic, whatever the case may be, you were suppressed beyond imagination. Your voice wasn't even considered in the conversation. If anybody should vote. It should be women. This country has a rich history of attempting to stop people from doing a lot of things. If you don't vote for any other reason, you should be at that ballot on November the 3rd, casting your vote because all of your forefathers bled, sweat, and died for your opportunity to have that chance. Don't take advantage of the battles that were fought before you. Take advantage of the opportunities that those battles have presented to you. All right, guys. Well, that's all I got this week. Um, please exercise your civil duty. Go out November the 3rd. Cast your vote. I don't care who you vote for. That's not what this podcast is about. Go out there, voice your opinion, honor our forefathers, our ancestors, and the sacrifices and struggles that they went through so that we would have the right and the opportunity to do what it is that we're doing right now. I love you guys. Take care. I'll holler at you next week. Peace.